Ladies and gentlemen, your attention please. Now batting for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball, the host, El Melchior, Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball. Welcome, everybody. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, taking a little break from the big game, which, of course, and I know I don't need to tell you, is Michigan-Ohio State. I know some of you might be maybe watching some other games. I'm not sure why, but, you know. Anyways, I I jest uh, because I am a, a Michigan guy. So, uh, yeah, this is I'm taking time out from uh one of the biggest days of the year, uh, and it's important stuff because we got a lot to get to here, uh, particularly for uh, for a week that's uh, you know sort of in in baseball's uh, no man's land. Uh, you know we're not quite there to the uh, the uh, GM meetings yet, uh, but uh, or I should say the uh, the owners meetings. We have the GM meetings, um, but uh, there, there's quite a bit going on here. We got uh, some. Big developments this week in terms of Otani. That's going to be the, the weekly uh, point of discussion. Shohei Otani is coming to uh, Major League Baseball this coming season. Uh, we also have some big Aaron Judge news. Uh, we finally know what's going on with the uh, Braves in terms of the penalties uh, they're going to sustain. I'll talk about that. Uh, but you know, despite the fact that there were big stories this week, there were also some interesting things uh, sort of debates going on in social media and on online in terms of war. And I, so I want to talk about that, even though these things aren't directly fantasy connected, um, you know, this is probably as good a time as any. And it's, it's, it's interesting. And, you know, and war does, I understand it builds in defense. And so, you know, it's definitely skewed away from things that matter more in, uh, in fantasy, but it does have some fantasy relevance and uh, also been sort of uh, an interesting debate going on now with the uh, Hall of Fame ballot out. We had that letter from Joe Morgan uh, coming out on the, the Hall of Fame letterhead. Uh, but uh, and that's something I definitely usually shy away from in terms of uh, fantasy discussions. But I'm going to have a little fun with that, too. There's a really, really interesting tweet put out by Tom Tango that I'm going to bring uh, bring to your attention here if you haven't uh already seen it. Uh, I uh, retweeted it on my account. Uh, anyways, I'll get to all that later. But there will be plenty of fantasy-related stuff here, too. Going to talk about a recent head-to-head mock I did with the folks from CBSSports.com. And I'm going to continue in my series of positional landscape previews. Uh, we did catcher last week. I also need to kind of tie that one up because there were some some loose ends there. Uh, but also going to move on and look at first base, which has changed a lot in the past year. At least I think so. I think, think uh, I don't think that's going too far out on a limb to say that, but uh, we'll take a look at the changes to the first base landscape and what that means for you on draft day, which is not right around the corner, but it's, it's inching closer and closer anyway. So lots to get to, and I will do so right after this break.
Skix sneakers are taking over tailgates and alumni homes across America. Skix canvas high top, low top, slip on, and kids tennis style sneakers designed in officially licensed college colors and logos is a must-have for every college fan's wardrobe. Fun, fashionable, and comfortable. Whether you're at the big game or watching the game at home, Skix helps fans perform better. Go to Skix.com and use promo code FNTSY for 15% off your pair now. That's Skix.com. Skix sneakers, the soul of a true fan. Oh, man, I must have a new theme song here. don't think this has ever been played on the show before, so uh, good call there. <laughs> Anyways, you are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I am Al Melchior. Yes, I am the host of this show. And uh, like I said uh, in the opening segment there, surprisingly, lots to get to here in the last show of uh, of November. By the way, I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. I uh, certainly did here. Um, but uh, before I get to all the good things that I, I previewed uh, earlier in the show, I do need to give you the weekly reminder here that you can go to either dailyrodo.com slash DKMS or rotoexperts.com slash DKMS. And at either site, you can get lots of information about DKMS and their mission to fight blood cancer. So a lot of good information on a very good organization. Uh, you can uh, certainly go there and just get informed, uh, but you also can get information on how to actually be a bone marrow donor or make a donation. So uh, just go check it out, and then you can see, uh, you know, see uh, what you can do. And uh, also, there's a link there for a uh, a free DFS game co-sponsored by Fantasy Sports Radio Network and Fantasy Draft. Uh, so it's been uh, going on all season long, a game every week. And then when we're through week 16, on week 17, there's going to be a, a final round that's just going to include the winners from each of the first 16 weeks. The winner of that uh, basically uh, championship round, uh, they get two tickets to Super Bowl 52 in Minnesota. So. Pretty cool stuff all around. So do just take a few minutes and uh, check out either of those sites, and uh, you'll be glad that you did. So uh, let's get to the news. As I mentioned before, Shohei Otani is coming to Major League Baseball for next season. The Players Association and Major League Baseball made an agreement that they're going to, for now, keep the existing posting system. So that means that... uh, uh, $20 million, uh, a $20 million posting fee will go to Otani's current team, the Nippon Ham Fighters. And uh, once again, I put the emphasis on ham in the wrong the wrong place there. It's Nippon Ham Fighters, uh, not people fighting ham. And uh, then uh, teams will be able to use their international uh, bonus money uh, to, uh, to, to bid on uh, – or, or to uh, to pay rather, uh, Otani, and uh, it, it tops out just over three million for the, the teams that have the most money. Uh, the Yankees, the Rangers, the Twins aren't too far behind them, and then there's a bunch of teams that just have only three hundred thousand. So really, you're you're talking about a you know not a lot of money there compared to what Otani could have made if he waited two more years, but. Um, 
you know, nonetheless, it, it's sort of an equalizer and it makes it kind of interesting to see who's actually going to come out on top and, and get Otani for next season. Of course, it's exciting from just a baseball perspective uh, to have uh, one of the most exciting players from Japan come here and doubly exciting because there's the question of, is he going to continue to be a two-way player? Now, he is a little bit better regarded as a pitcher than as a hitter, but this is an interesting development in the past few days. Jerry Depoto said that the Mariners are definitely pursuing him, and that's really no news and no secret because the Mariners uh, have already acquired a little bit of extra uh, money so that they could uh, be a little bit more competitive to, to get Otani. But DePoto said that uh, Nelson Cruz could play the outfield several times a week this year if Otani was on the team so that he could actually replace Cruz as the DH for those games. That would be really cool. And that's the question that everybody's asking is wherever Otani signs, is he going to actually DH? Is he just going to be more than a pitcher maybe who hits, particularly if it's an NL team uh, or in the AL? Is the team going to forfeit the, the DH slot and just let Otani hit? You know, is, is he going to be a pinch hitter? Uh, so the Mariners are really looking to go go all the way here and let Otani be a pretty regular DH in addition to being in the rotation. So this is pretty exciting on a whole bunch of different levels. So can't wait for uh, this to, to all play out. That posting should take place uh, within a couple of weeks. So, you know, that it's going to be a weekly topic on the show, probably all off season uh, into uh, draft prep time. Uh, also big news. Aaron Judge had arthroscopic surgery on his left shoulder this past Monday. He is, however, expected to be ready well before spring training. So good news there, but that's certainly something that we also have to pay attention to all offseason just to make sure that his recovery goes as planned. The Braves uh, received their punishment for uh, their inaccurate accounting for uh, several of their 2015-2016 offseason signings, international signings. So they have lost 13 uh, signees, uh, all minor leaguers, including a player who had been uh, considered one of their best prospects, Kevin Maitan. Uh, he and the other 12 all signed during the 2016-2017 signing period. All have been removed from the Braves organization. All have been declared free agents. Former general manager John Coppolella has been banned for life from Major League Baseball. And uh, and I assume the, the minors as well. And former international scouting director for the Braves, Gordon Blakely, has been suspended for one year. And the organization also is restricted in terms of what they can spend on international signings through uh, all the way through 2021. And in the, the case of one player that uh, there were some improprieties with, um, they lost a third-round draft pick, I believe. Um, I, I uh, don't have it in my notes in terms of what year that is. But uh, it's you know, stiff penalty for, for sure. It's really going to, uh, I think, hamstring the Braves uh, over those next several years in terms of their, uh, their development. Back into uh, some hot stove developments, the Twins continue their quest for starting pitching. They have already inquired with the Pirates about Garrett Cole and with the Rays about Jake Odorizzi. So not a whole lot going on yet with trades. Last week on the show, we broke down the Ryan Healy deal, but um, 
you know, not a whole lot going on yet. Just uh, really a few few rumors. I imagine it will be quiet, you know, for, uh, you know, for the time being until, uh, you know, until uh, we got the uh, the GM meetings coming up. Uh, anyway, let me get back to the uh, the debate over war that I referenced earlier in the show. Um, so there was a piece that Bill James wrote about war. And he said that now he, for those of you who remember, he wrote a book back in the nineties called wind shares, really cool book. As far as I'm aware of it, it was the first really rigorous attempt to try to, um, to, to come up with kind of a, a catch all single measure for, for player value. Uh, and, and, as the name implies, what James did was that he, rather than you know take an individual stat and sort of uh, build from that to see who's the most you know valuable player, he looked at the number of wins that a team got and then figured out how that gets allocated to all the different players that were on the roster, and that eventually that that concept really got morphed into war. Uh, which of course now is you know something that I reference on this show pretty much every week, and it's something that that analysts uh, rely on. We in fantasy even talk about it from time to time, and um, in terms of the, the discussions around the Hall of Fame ballot right now, that's referenced very heavily, and I'm going to get to that in a little bit. But uh, James said that he kept quiet for all these years about his opinion on war, which again is you know. I wouldn't say it's derived from wind shares, but it's, it's, it was sort of the next, you know, the next generation, the, the the next move towards trying to come with some method for comparing players, whether it's, you know, dep- depending on, on, you know, team, league, pitcher versus hitter, one way that you could compare all players, you know, de- across eras. And uh, he said he's, he's got some issues. <laughs> he's got some issues with war. And so he wrote a, a very nice piece, I thought, you know, pretty persuasive piece about it. And the, the crux of the argument is that he, whereas he intended to make this based on team wins and to keep the measurement connected to team wins, that war is really divorced from that concept. And it builds up from the notion of who's responsible for run scoring. So pretty interesting stuff. So uh, yeah, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds on that, but I do want to discuss that a little bit more. I know we got to head to break very shortly here. So you know, I'll outline the argument that he made. And then Dave Cameron from Fangraphs had a, uh, a rebuttal to it, which, uh, which was also very worthwhile reading. So uh, I'll do my best to, to summarize those. And then talk about how that relates to the current Hall of Fame ballot. Anyways, do have to head to break right now, but all that and discussion of a mock draft that I did and the first base landscape, all that coming up after this break. Are you new to Daily Fantasy? Are you a veteran? Either way, you can better your chances of winning money and lots of it by going to dailyroto.com. Multiple people have become millionaires thanks to the guys at Daily Roto. Why not take advice from the experts? You can become a millionaire too. Just go to dailyroto.com to rock daily fantasy sports. 
Welcome back, everybody. This is Fan Rack Fantasy Baseball. I'm Al Melchior, your host. And, uh, you know, as I've been talking about that, we're in the sort of the, the no man's land of the offseason. I'm clearly not anywhere close to in-season form here because I realized I called the winter meetings the GM, me- GM meetings, which, uh, of course, we've already had. So my apologies for that. Um, I promise I will uh, be in the the best podcasting shape of my life uh, very, very soon. Anyway, let me get back to uh, the discussion that I started off uh, about this this little debate that's cropped up online that began with a a piece that Bill James wrote for his site, Bill James Online, talking about war versus wind shares and how he thinks that that really the, the foundation of war is basically flawed. That uh, when he developed wind shares, the idea was, again, as the name implies, that player value should really be wedded to their contribution to team wins. That's really the whole point, whereas war is based on the the accumulation of value. Uh, again, I'm not going to get deep in the weeds on this, but, uh, you know, based on, on linear weights uh, ascribed to, to all the different events that that. Uh, that happen in a game. So uh, Bill James made his case and, uh, you know, very interesting. And the way that he did it was that he contrasted Jose Altuve's 2017 season with Aaron judges and to compare them using war, whether it's uh, B war on baseball reference or uh, F war from fan graphs uh, that uh, it's, it's either very close or in the case of F war, and I'm going by memory here. So I'm, I, I'm, almost positive I'm correct on this, but that that judge actually outperformed Altuve by by their measure. But uh, on either side, I think it was fairly close. And Bill James argued it's not really close. Jose Altuve, because of what he was able to do in clutch or higher leverage situations, that it it had a bigger contribution to the Astros' uh, total of wins as compared to what Judge did. And then you you talked about expected wins versus actual wins and, and all that. So again, I could spend the whole show Digging into that, uh, you just really should read the piece. It's a good, good piece there by Bill James. And then Dave Cameron uh, offered the defense of war on fan graphs. And basically, you know, I thought it was, it was a very good nuanced argument saying that, you know, war is not good for everything. Uh, you know, not just in the sense that, you know, any sort of measure has built in shortcomings, but that even in terms of what it attempts to do, yeah, it's not necessarily... Uh, the ideal measure, but that it it does, you know, essentially what it it needs to do, which is look at players' contributions in uh, a context-neutral fashion. So really, really good stuff. But I I realize that this has limited limited relevance for fantasy, but uh, I saw a really cool tweet from Tom Tango, who on on Twitter is Tango Tiger, and he did a, a poll where he asked people to compare players on the Hall of Fame ballot one-on-one, head-to-head matchups. And then he computed the, the results, and they correlated really strongly with, um, with war, with their career war totals. So check this out uh, either on his account uh, at uh, Tango Tiger. I'm actually going to double-check that and make sure there's nothing funky in his uh, – yeah, no, it's just straight up at Tango Tiger. Um you know, or I retweeted it so you can you know check it out. My account, Al Melchior BB. 
but uh, you know, there's a graph there that shows it's really pretty well correlated. And really, where it breaks down only a little bit, there's there's pretty much complete agreement between war and people's preferences for players uh, in terms of evaluating their entire careers uh, through through the top nine players on the ballot in war. And then it breaks down a little bit for the tenth and final spot, where um, people t- uh, preferred. Vladimir Guerrero as the last player to be on the ballot, even though his career war was less than both Larry Walker's and Scott Rowland's. And, you know, it was the, between the three of them, the results weren't that far apart. So it's not like, you know, people were dismissing uh, Roland and Walker entirely. They just preferred, um, they just preferred Vlad Guerrero. And as somebody pointed out, I'm going to see if I can find it here in my Twitter feed, but somebody pointed out, yes, uh, at uh, Balls Kwok, B-A-L-L-S-K-W-O-K, uh, that Roland has the highest career Fangraphs war of the three players, higher than uh, Larry Walker and higher than Vlad Guerrero who is the lowest of the three in both Fangraphs and Baseball Reference War. So that just really complicates it right there. Uh, because I ran a poll, which of these three would you leave off a Hall of Fame ballot? Guerrero, Roland, Walker. And then I added a fourth uh, one. One of the top, and I, actually I'm realizing now that uh, this is an error. I put one of the top eight in War, should have been one of the top nine in War. Uh, no, I take that back. That's right. Yeah. So th- I did have this right in the poll. So only 4% said one of the top eight. Only 6% said they would leave Vlad Carrero off the ballot. So 96% of the people who voted said, yeah, it should be one of the three. It shouldn't be one of the top eight. Uh, but only 6% were willing to leave Vladimir Guerrero off the ballot. Larry Walker... 23%. So overwhelmingly, 67% of the people who voted in my Twitter poll this morning, two out of every three said Scott Rowland is the odd man out. And I got to say, it's really, really tough. I think if anything, it's just it's a great argument for expanding the, the ballot or making it unlimited. But if you have to go with 10, which of course you do uh, right now, I, I would agree it's Roland. Um because now the argument that people make against Walker, of course, is that his stats were inflated by playing uh, in Coors Field, and you, you know you can't argue that in terms of you can argue that in terms of whether or not that's a reason to not vote him in. But I mean, his his stats were highly inflated by playing at Coors Field. But the thing is, if you look at his career with the Rockies and you look at the uh, away splits. Now, yeah, they were dwarfed by what he did at Coors Field, but they were still very good. And he had three or four seasons that were really on a level with the best years of, of Vladimir Guerrero or close to it. And Roland had, uh, I think, a longer peak than Guerrero. Uh, but, you know, his his settling place in his peak was, was a little bit lower than Guerrero's in terms of OPS+. Plus. Um. So certainly the peaks for for Walker and for Guerrero were higher. And even Walker, if you just looked at his Coors or his his Rockies years and you look at the away splits, he had some years in there during his peak years that were 
better than than Roland's Peaks years in terms of OPS plus. But that's only offense. And what makes this really difficult is that Roland was such an outstanding defender. And if you go again, you go back to using war as a measure, that's getting captured there. And uh it makes it really tough. Yeah, you know, it makes it really tough. But I would probably give a give the edge to uh to Guerrero and Walker, but I would want Roland in there, you know, on the next ballot <laughs> for sure. Uh, he's absolutely deserving. So I certainly do not mean to imply in any way, shape, or form that Scott Roland shouldn't be a Hall of Famer. He absolutely needs to be. So enough of this Hall of Fame talk, uh, because again, that only tangentially replies uh, replies uh, to to fantasy. Uh, but you know, it is it ultimately it's about how we evaluate players. And that's going to vary from from format to format. I got a really interesting tweet tweet from uh, at George Mez one earlier this week, uh, and he said, uh, "I appreciate your help uh, with keepers. I'm new to this format. Can you talk about transitioning from categories redraft to keeper points uh, and strategy? Talk strategy on a future pod. Uh, that's a great idea. Great idea." Um, so that's something I definitely want to do. I had not really I, I, you know, begun this series on positional landscapes. And certainly as we get closer to draft day, we'll do some more sort of uh, full, uh, full-fledged full positional previews. But I do think that there needs to be a place here on this show for strategy. So I'm not going to get into that now. Probably won't really get into it for a few weeks because, like I said, I want to give these positional landscapes their their due. But um, in terms of moving to a points league, and again, keep moving from redraft to keepers, a whole other thing unto itself that I I don't think I'm really going to address here. But um, just to illustrate this, uh, the difference. uh, This past season, 2017, Anthony Rizzo in CBS points. uh, And of course, you can play points on, you know, other sites as well. But um, uh, I'm just going to use CBS here. Plus, we're going to talk about a CBS points mock in just a little while. Um, Rizzo ranked eighth among all hitters in points leagues, only 26th among all hitters in Roto. So, you know, why the difference? Uh, Carlos Santana, by the way, similar trend. Eighth among first base eligible hitters in points leagues on CBS, 21st in Roto among first basemen. Uh, what and, and the the answer for the two is similar. I'm going to give you some time. We got a break coming up, so you can puzzle. What is it about Anthony Rizzo and Carlos Santana that would make them so much more valuable in a points league than in in a roto league? And I understand for you know those of you who play different formats, this is you know, probably just a very a very basic question. But for those of you maybe who are you know less familiar, give the you know, give that a a once over uh, while we head into break here. Uh, Rizzo and Santana, much more valuable points leagues. I also talk about some pitchers that are, are evaluated differently in those different formats. And then I'll talk about the points league mock that I actually did. So all that coming up right after this break. Hey, everybody. 
everybody, it's me, Joe Pizzapia, best-selling author of the Fantasy Black Book series. And right now, you can get the 2017 Fantasy Football Black Book on Amazon as we speak. What are you waiting for? You can get it for ebook, for your Kindle, or for paperback. And it's not just me this year. No, I brought in some friends. I got Jake Seeley. I got Sammy Reed. I got Gary Davenport. I got championships, and they're waiting for you. Find out why the Fantasy Black Book is number one best-selling in fantasy sports for the 10th straight time. You know why? Because once you go Black Book, you never go back. Welcome back to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And uh, just before the break, was talking about um, uh, some of the differences in uh, uh, points format uh, versus a roto format. And I'm going to uh, get into a bit uh, about a points uh, mock that I did just a few days ago. But I have an important follow-up here uh, because during the break, I got a tweet from Tom Tango uh, on his Twitter account, at Tango Tiger. And I missed... So uh, let me read this just to make clear up uh, anything uh, that uh, might have been confusing because, as he obviously correctly points out, the ballot does not ask for the 10 most deserving, rather up to 10 deserving. So people, in fact, do uh, have blank blank ballots, which is a whole other issue unto itself. Uh, but you, you don't have to vote for anybody. You can vote for you know one. You can vote for five. So, again, up to 10, the 10, uh, up to 10 deserving uh, inductees to the Hall of Fame. Uh, it says, for example, this means relying on others to select Chipper and leave them off in favor of the other 10. So, first of all, thank you for replying and replying in such a timely manner. And my apologies for uh, misspeaking and uh, uh, conveying that inaccurately. So, uh, anyway, uh, great discussion there. Again, check out his uh, his Twitter feed because uh, the head-to-head uh poll that he did was really, really cool, and the graphic that he presented along with it. Uh, Anyways, back to the show and back to uh, a little bit of head-to-head talk here, head-to-head points. Uh, So I got this question about how do you uh, change your strategy going from one format to the other? And I cited Anthony Rizzo and Carlos Santana as hitters who last season performed much, much better in points than in Roto. And for Santana, this is a, a pretty much an annual thing for him. Uh, hitters who do not typically do well in BABIP, who don't get typically get a lot of hits on balls in play, uh, are punished much more in Roto than uh, in, uh, in a points league, simply because batting average is a category in Roto, or, you know, most Roto, a standard Roto format. Uh, whereas in the points league, it's the number of hits that you pile up. It's, you know, it's your counting stats, points for, you know, each hit, points for each base, uh, points for, there are points deducted or a fraction of a point deducted for strikeouts, uh, points granted or a fraction point granted for walks, depending on your format. So strike or walk to strikeout ratio uh, can be much more important than batting average and certainly much more important than BABIP. So um, so Carlos Santana uh, typically does really well in a points league because while he doesn't have a, a typically have a high average and is a sort of a chronic low BABIP guy, uh, he walks a lot, doesn't strike out that much, uh, gets extra bases. So that 
rewards him uh, in a points league much more than in Roto. Anthony Rizzo, not typically the case with him, but he had a lower BABIP this past season for reasons I'm actually trying to dig into. He didn't hit very well on ground balls, or at least the results weren't good on ground balls. I'm not sure skill-wise there was anything different there. That's what I'm trying to tease out with Anthony Rizzo. So in the case of Carlos Santana, he's somebody who you can't just simply go by what happened in the past season. You got to look at the type of hitter somebody is. And if somebody's a chronic low BABIP hitter that in a standard Roto League, you say, oh, this is a low average guy. That's going to sink my lineup to some degree. Much less of a worry in, uh, in a points league. And conversely, players who build up their batting averages with high BABIPs uh, maybe to cover up a high strikeout rate, that's not going to play as well in a points league. So that's also something to uh, to think of. Whereas with pitchers, strikeouts are not nearly as important. Uh, for example, Brad Peacock was the 21st ranking starting pitcher, eligible pitcher in Roto Leagues this past season, but only 39th in CBS points. So very, very high strikeout rate, but not a lot of innings compared to other pitchers uh, up in those portions of the rankings, partly because he spent part of the year in the bullpen, partly because a lot of his starts were shorter. Uh, So that didn't work well in points, but a pitcher like Marcus Stroman, who goes deep in a lot of starts, who gets a lot of quality starts, um, but not a lot of strikeouts, he's going to perform Typically much better in a points league. He was 16th in CBS points this past year, only 27th in Roto. So anyways, that's the very, very short version, uh, George, uh, who sent me the the tweet. But, um, you know, those are, those are in terms of skill set and, and stat profile, some of the things that you would uh, you would look at. Uh, but let's let's get to looking ahead to 2018. I did my first points league mock of this year. Uh, Scott White, my former colleague over at CBS, invited me. I'm very, very grateful that he did so. And uh, I was actually supposed to have Scott on the show today to talk about uh, this mock draft. also wanted to have Scott uh, to come on and talk about ranking strategy. Uh, we had to push that back. So uh, I'm hoping that Scott will join me next Saturday and definitely stick around for that. But I do want to talk about this points uh, head-to-head points mock a little bit even though scott's not here and scott did write a piece for uh, cbssports.com about this mock and he focused on john carlos stanton because where he went in this draft probably at least to my opinion was the most interesting thing about this points mock draft and i again i would urge you if you want to know more because i don't have time to really go into all the results you want to see uh, how it went round by round, team by team, and get Scott's analysis, go to cbssports.com, check that out, uh, Scott White. But uh, Giancarlo Stanton didn't go until the third round. He went 29th overall, so this was a 10, or I'm sorry, 12-team 12 uh, 12 mock. And so he went uh, sixth in that round. Uh, I'm sorry, fifth having all kinds of problems uh, here today, went fifth in that round. Um, and I was at a point where I had the the bookend picks at the turn between uh, the second and third rounds. And I knew I needed, or I didn't know I needed, because I took Mike Trout with the first pick, but I there were still so, there was some good outfield talent there. So I knew probably with those, one of those two picks, I was going to target a second outfielder. And I thought about Stanton. I thought about 
George Springer, and I thought about J.D. Martinez. I went with J.D. Martinez, and I've been really catching and going back and forth. Who do I value more, Stanton or Martinez? And even as I made the pick, I was really sort of uncertain, to be honest with you. But as I went back and sort of reviewed, okay, you know, why, why do I like J.D. Martinez better? And I, I felt good about it because uh, last season, if you prorate both Springer and Martinez and prorate their plate appearances and all the stats along with it, to Stanton's playing time, because he played the most of the three outfielders, 692 plate appearances. Um, Stanton had 644.5 points on the CBS scoring system last year. J.D. Martinez prorate his time to equal Stanton's. He had six. He would have had 684.9 fantasy points. So slightly more than 40 more points than Stanton. So that's not insignificant. George Springer, well behind the both of them, even with prorated points, he would have had 556.1 points last year. And yet both Martinez and Springer wound up going ahead of Stanton. So I took Martinez with the 24th pick overall, last pick of the second round. Then I got Josh Donaldson with the 25th pick. And then Springer went with that next pick. 26 pick, and it wasn't till three spots later that Stanton uh, went after Martinez, after Springer. Uh, and then a conversation I had with somebody on Twitter, uh, they, they pointed out, well, you know, Stanton played the full season. This is the second year in a row where Martinez has missed some time with an injury. I found that kind of interesting, a kind of interesting pivot because going into last year, Stanton was the guy that everybody was downgrading. Oh, he can't stay healthy. He can't stay healthy. Well, he stayed healthy. And I think uh, Martinez can too. I mean, the, the, this past year, the injury was a little more concerning because it was a Liz Frank injury at the beginning of the season, but he came back, was able to stay healthy and be obviously super productive given that his prorated production was greater than Stanton's, whether you're talking about fancy points or whether you're talking about Woba uh, as a, as a rate stat to compare them. Um, Martinez is a better hitter. And in terms of, of Woba, just again, to use uh, a rate stat that, that covers uh, different offensive events. Uh, he's been, been fairly consistent the last few years. So I, you know, more so than Stanton. So I, I'm sticking with Martinez ranked over Stanton. I will say I take I will take Stanton over Springer. Uh, I, I think last year might have been a best case scenario for George Springer. And again, in terms of fantasy points scoring, he was he was well behind. Now, you know, uh, you know, you can argue maybe in other formats, it's uh, you know it might be a different deal next year. But but uh, to me, he's uh, a clear third place amongst those uh those three outfielders um so yeah jd martinez i fear he's going to be undervalued yet again this year i thought he was a great bargain last year even with the time that he missed uh i think unless maybe public perception changes that he will be a bargain again this season and frankly you know stanton might be too i mean it's was a big surprise to me and you know that's why scott white wrote about it because he was very surprised that Stanton went in the third round. Some of that had to do with just the unique unfolding of that mock draft and that there were just a lot of good outfielders uh, still available. But that's also something about the position, too, that it's it's gotten deeper uh, as a position. 
And on that note, so has first base. Uh, so outfield and first base were a couple of positions where I thought the, the lead talent went quickly a year ago. Maybe not so in 2018. So stick around when, it, when you come back. I'll be here to talk about the first, ba- first base landscape. So I will be right back. Muscle Maker Grill was made for baseball season. Muscle Maker Grill supplies you with delicious, healthy meals that will give you energy to cheer on your team week after week. Whether you're craving flavorful salad, packed wraps, or guiltless entrees, Muscle Maker Grill has you covered. Hosting a game? No problem. Our catering packages will have your whole team satisfied with flavors ranging from Italian to Tex-Mex and much, much more. Visit MuscleMakerGrill.com for your nearest location and have a winning season. Welcome back, everybody. This is FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm Al Melchior, your host. And way, way back at the beginning of the show, I had said I was going to tie up some loose ends talking about the catcher position, which I did a, a segment on on last week's show. Uh, I want to be able to devote the remaining minutes to first base. So I would just refer you to my personal blog, almelchior.com. I uh, really tied up the loose ends there, give you a few names to think about in terms of batting average. Uh, and uh, OBP at the position because that those are categories where catchers as a whole do not. I mean, they don't do well really in any of the positions uh, relative to uh, you know the other positions. But uh, those those categories in particular, there's some names to tuck away. So, uh, anyways, check that out. But the what I could say in the in the nutshell about the uh, first base landscape is that whereas the last two seasons. I went into the draft saying I'm pursuing what I call the seven and seven strategy, which is that if the first seven first basemen or first seven outfielders in my rankings, if they're all off the board, I'm waiting because I thought there was just such a big drop off uh, after those top seven. Well, it has changed dramatically. Um, There's a clear elite in Paul Goldschmidt, Joey Votto, Anthony Rizzo, and Freddie Freeman. But really, just right behind them, I mean, you could maybe make an argument that Cody Bellinger deserves to be in that group. Maybe uh, Jose Abreu and Edwin Encarnacion. Some people, I think, are are ranking uh, Reese Hoskins that high. I am not one of them. I'm probably one of the – I like him, but I'm still probably one of the lower people on Reese Hoskins right now. But, you know, if you want to call it tiers 1A and 1B, you got Goldie Votto, Rizzo, and Freeman 1A. You got Bellinger, Abreu. Encarnacion, Hoskins, Miguel Cabrera is going to be a, a great, he's going to be risky, potentially a great, great value this year. Uh, and Buster Posey, who I sort of reluctantly lump in because I'm drafting him as I'm sure you all are as a catcher, but he is first base eligible in uh, every format I know of. So uh, you, you could certainly include him in one B. All right. So that's just, you know, we could say probably least generously the first two tiers if not 1A and 1B. That does not take into account Eric Hosmer taking it up a notch this past season. Matt Carpenter having an off year, but you know still being you know very valuable at first base. Um, and then there's all these players that really either came out of nowhere or, or rebounded. Uh, Ryan Zimmerman, 
I, f- I feel like, you know, for all the hype there was about him in April, he's had a nice season. Yeah, he cooled off a bit, but still, uh, I think he's getting overlooked. Matt Olson, <laughs> believe it or not, somehow getting overlooked uh, because he was in the shadow of Reese Hoskins, and I don't really think he should be. Uh, Justin Bohr, Justin Smoke, um, Logan Morrison, Eric Thames, again, maybe gets overlooked because he, he tailed off as the season went on. But, um, you know, he's certainly in the mix of, of you know, the third tier. Yonder Alonzo tailed off, but uh, rebounded in September and I think uh, could get overlooked and, and deserves to be drafted. And what about Jose Martinez? He ranked fourth in WOBA among first basemen in the second half. Uh, now, he did not tail off, just quite the opposite. He came on strong in the second half, but he really came out of nowhere and got, you know, there were so many really good, surprising first basemen, he could get overlooked. So just a whole lot of talent there. So you don't have to you know, strike early to get somebody who's going to be really great, but you also necessarily want to you know, wait a real long time either because uh, there's uh, you know, some great talent just behind the elite. Anyway, that is the very, very quick and dirty version of the first base landscape. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'll be back here again uh, next Saturday, same time. So go watch some great uh, college football this afternoon or uh, keep enjoying your Thanksgiving weekend, whatever it is. Hope you have a great weekend and stay tuned for the producers.